0: We are in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight, Ephesians chapter 3, our study on uh, who we are in Christ before we get too far into it, announcement wise, you saw in the bulletin, we're next Sunday because of uh, the Super Bowl, we still want to gather to study God's Word, but we also want to enjoy, you know, fellowship as we can. So we're going to move it back to five o'clock. So we will meet from five to uh, six, and that way, if uh, wherever you may be going, you can get onto the game. I think it's what six thirty, I believe, is the um, is the kickoff for that. Uh, but uh, so five o'clock next Sunday evening. Tonight we're going to be speaking about, uh, or talking, looking at prayer, and you know, as you, you pray, I know uh, Michelle has already described to us her, her Bible reading habits. That uh, sometimes just uh, you know you have like those those that burning bush moment when you, you just open the Word of God and and He speaks to you and your Bible falls off of the bed and and the cover just rips rips off of there. But uh, but when you go to pray. Have you ever been interrupted in, in prayer? I don't know about it, but I can tell you when I sit down to, to pray, I mean, it's weird how it works. But uh, almost, I'm going to get a text message or a phone call, or um, if I'm, um, you know, if I'm out, or if you're praying before your meal, the waitress or waiter is going to come up to deliver your food or your drinks, or or you got kids tugging on you, and or you know, and and there, there's a lot of times where we get interrupted in our prayer, sometimes it's not even anything external. You know, sometimes our minds just go all to wondering when we when we start praying, and you begin to think of your your to do list or or uh, what you need to get at the store, and 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 uh, um, you know you can even get lost in thinking about a, a ball game or something. Or or it's happened even to me, but. It, you can get lost thinking about prayer. It's like, did I pray about this? to pray, you know, and 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 before we know it, we can kind of go off chasing rabbits if we're not careful, you know. Because staying focused in praying it can be challenging at times. And and uh, I mean, you know, good news for us is that we're not alone in that. We're pretty good company for Paul himself. Kind of had some trouble with uh, with staying focused in praying here in chapter 3 of the book of ephesians paul begins this intercessory prayer for the church but then he, he kind of goes off on this holy rabbit trail and really doesn't actually start praying until we get to verse 14 now perhaps maybe this kind of digression that he it's uh um it, it, it prompted this reflective of his position what he says uh um, um that the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles, that he considers himself this prisoner. But verses 1 through 13 is more than just a digression, a, a chasing of a, a rabbit trail. You know, right? we believe that all of God's word is inspired by God, and, and so we believe that. These words, even if it may seem like it's some kind of tangent that Paul goes off on, is the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God, and that it contains also the central themes of the book of Ephesians. Right In these verses, the, the apostle speaks of his sufferings and the incorporation of the Gentiles into people of God, this kind of cosmic, big-picture nature of the church and the proclamation of the riches of Christ in our believers, are access to God, and so much more. So, although Paul kind of goes chasing some rabbit trails, he's not thinking about box scores or shopping lists. His, uh, his uh, uh, rabbit trails are more, I guess, holier than mine are. Well, let's read tonight. We're going to read these uh, 21 verses of chapter 3. We'll read through it all, and then we will uh, we'll break it up as we go on through our study. as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though, I am the very least of all of the saints." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul, he's probably one of the more talked-about individuals in, in Scripture. You know, we know his story. He was once a persecutor of Christians, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was formerly known as Saul before he met Christ on that Damascus road. We're going to do kind of a little activity this morning, a little fill in the blank. Or obviously, my mind is very mixed up at this point because it is is evening. But we're going to do a little fill in the blank right now. All right, so you can shout it out, and then we'll we'll correct us, See how we do, but. Um, Some statements about who Paul is. I blank and blank to the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. So, or number one, so Paul was a what? Prisoner? He was. Okay. Oh, come on, give me my. Oh, man. See, I was trying to write, and here he goes. He was an apostle and and an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. All right, so he's formally called Saul. A pharisaical Jew of the tribe of, all bonus points here. What tribe was he a part of? Jewish tribe. Not Judah. Well just say them all, you'll get it. <laughs> you know all the 12. You know. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a pharisaical Jew. All right, Paul witness was a witness to Stephen's, That's right his martyrdom. Number four, blank of at least blank books of the blank. All right, author. How many books? Close, might be a baker's dozen. Yep, but as you see, at least of the what of the of the Torah, oh, New Testament, that's right. Yes, of the New Testament. And you know why they might say of at least thirteen books. What's that? Well, they, uh, now his most attributed, but some question about the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews is unknown but some scholars just believe the syntax and the writing is similar to that of, of Paul um, to the book of Hebrews um, yeah and it, it very well could be and, and that's um, so that's why you, when I speak of Hebrews I will usually say the author of Hebrews. Uh, there is a good problem. I mean, there's a lot of of, of um, scholars that will say the challenge is we don't really have enough information to make a uh, uh, to 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 make a a, a definitive or, or a a very um, assertion of that. But um, regardless, it is the word of God. So yes, Paul wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. All right. Going on here, blank to Ephesus on his blank journey. He was a, that's right, missionary. Missionary. (laughs) Which journey did he go to Ephesus? (laughs) 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 Hey, yeah, somebody said second. All right, well, if you said second, you would be Right. Alright, two more. He was a self-identified blank of Jesus Christ and blank of the gospel. All right, so well, it was the one that Mark said first. That's right. Prisoner of Jesus Christ and a of what? Disciple? Yeah, well, it might be some other words. Um man. Servant of the gospel. He's a prisoner and servant of the gospel. All right, last one. For all the marbles. He is the blank of all the saints. Oh, that's right. He is the least of all the saints. So the Apostle Paul is... Um, man, it's an amazing uh, you know story of, of him and one that we, we love uh, reading about and and, and seeing how... Uh, God just radically can change somebody's somebody's life. So in, we're going to look here in, in Ephesians, in these first few verses here. In verse 1, we see that Paul, right, he calls himself what? He is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing this when he is in prison. But what kind of prison is he in? He's in prison in, in Rome. A Roman prisoner under the Praetorian guard, as I mentioned this morning, right? waiting to meet with Caesar. But Paul does not say that he is a prisoner of Rome, does he? He says he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now this Predicament that the the Paul is, uh, or the, the that he's in, you know. Yes, he is in prison in Rome, but he's also in prison because of his own doing. Right? If we remember the uh, kind of the the story of of how he ended up in, in in Rome is because he appealed to his Roman citizenship to go before Caesar. All right. The thing is, if he had not done that, you know what? He could have probably worked out some kind of plea deal and got a little slap on the wrist, been out of prison much earlier, gone back to doing what he was normally doing, and we might have had a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth missionary journey. But he didn't do that. He appealed to Caesar, and so although the, he is under the Roman, you know, um, uh, oppression under his, his time of prison. He's there kind of on his own doing. Why? Because of Christ Jesus. And so it is perfectly uh, right to say that Paul is a prisoner, Christ Jesus, on behalf of the Gentiles. So the very fact that that Paul, you know what? Don't know if he needed a different way to get to Rome, uh, but he got a you know a free expense pay trip to uh, to uh, to the Rome, and and he did so on behalf of the Gentiles. Now, we would often think of ourselves as being the prisoner of of someone. Would you think that would be a positive or a negative thing? Yeah, it'd be be negative, right? You know, I mean, if. <laughs> One, well, if we're under the, the, if we're in actual prison, you know, and, and I, th- I, I think about that sometimes when I'm driving down the hill and, and you look at the, you know, at the jail there on the right or going down or left going up and, and you think about some of those individuals that are there, especially those that are local, how close they can be where maybe from home, but yet how far the separation is, you know, those walls, those bars are, are, are very defining and. And, and and so, and then you know what? If if I were to, to hold somebody a prisoner, that that's a crime. Right? The, and, and so we think of, of that negative. But how do you think Paul viewed being a prisoner? I think he thought of it negative or positive? Yeah, I think he saw the purpose in his. I'm not saying that he enjoyed it. You know, probably not. I, I don't. You know, I don't think he would. I would not. Look here at verse 13. He says this. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Kind of gives us insight here to Paul's mindset, right? He is suffering on behalf of the Gentiles. For their glory. So if Paul encouraged the Ephesians not to be concerned about his, his plight, do, do, do you imagine this he, Paul's kind of got this false uh, uh um, um sense of humility that, that really kind of masked in pride is like, you know what, I'm doing what nobody else would do, kind of a deal? Or or do you think that this is a loving attempt to provide comfort? Or is it based upon his deep Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to see that tonight is uh, that Paul kind of seemed to be about to to kind of go into to this this prayer in verse one, but he gets sidetracked by this passion that he has for Jesus, with whom he says he is a prisoner and servant of. That's the thing. Even when Paul is Praying to God, he cannot stop speaking about God. Look here, verse three. It says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written uh, briefly. All right, so Paul I understood his role with these Gentiles, right? The mystery was made known to him by revelation from God, he was to share the gospel with them, to reveal to them what Christ had, had shared to with him, and he remained a witness and a missionary. In verse four, it says, "When you read this, right, he's writing this letter, expecting it to be read. You can perceive my insight into the mystery." Of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to by his holy apostles and the prophets of the Spirit. Now, this mystery, all right, it didn't become crystal clear until the coming of Jesus. But the mystery was never intended to be kept secret, to be, be held in, to be be quiet. No, Paul's sense of this mystery evoked from this marvelous, awe-inspiring revelation that God gave to him about how much God loves us and what He gave to redeem humanity. One of the most puzzling aspects of, of, uh, of, of this mystery of Christ is, is alluded to here in verse 6. All right, So we see the mystery is that what? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if you were a Jew, you might think, well, we're God's chosen people. How can somebody else come to be a part of, of, of the family? And then on the other side, if you're a Gentile, I think, think What good am I? How can I be a part of this? See, God's decision to intimately involve believers in the process, right? We are members of that same body being reconciled to Jesus Christ. And see, Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, you don't get any more Jew than you do with Paul. But Paul made sure to involve the Gentiles as fellow heirs, as, as equals in the gospel. He had a deep partnership with them. You kind of saw that this morning in, in a message in Colossians 4. I, and he, he's speaking, he included both Jews and Gentiles. You know, one of the kind of the the, the concepts of, of 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 church growth over you know many decades was that really that, that to have your church to go grow quickly is you really need to kind of uh, kind of zone in on a specific niche. Uh, so whether your your dynamic or uh, um uh, demographics, so you would target you know uh, young families all right because that would grow the church but 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 in, in i mean i don't want to say churches would intentionally exclude other people but their focus was on that because when you get people of different um, demographics together things get challenging it's messy because people have different uh, preferences different opinions of way things and are done and, and and different things affect people differently and so it would have been far more easy for Paul to, to focus on getting the gospel to others if, if he were to have his Gentile team over here, to have his Jewish team over here. But he didn't do that. He combined them together because they are equals. They are fellow heirs. We move on to verse 7 and 8. It says, Of the gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of is power. Hey, he says, to me though, I am the very least of all of the saints. This grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see this gift of, of grace here. I and mean, grace is used several times. How might you define grace? It's kind of the, The church, if you've been in Sunday school a while, you probably know what grace would be. It is God's Unmerited Favor. All right. What does unmerited mean? Right, you don't earn it, right? There's no merit is just to earn. You don't earn his favor he gives it to his, it is a gift. all right and so so he mentions it twice here in these two verses. now why do you think he mentions it? Well, you know Paul calls him right he's the servant of this gospel. he's the least of all of the saints. but he ties God's uh, God's uh, um, power with the gift of grace. All right We can't. Give uh, you know it's through that power that that we receive His grace. If God was not powerful, then what benefit would it be to us? You know, so Paul was was a humble man, even though you know he had a checkered a checkered pass. But he sees His greatness, though, to come not through Him. Right, He is the least of all the saints. But it's through the grace of Christ, through his servant, that he was to preach to the Gentiles, the outcasts, the unsearchable riches of, of Christ. So we see Paul's he had, had a, 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 a unique role. All right? One, it is to proclaim, right, to preach these um, the, the riches of Christ. Secondly, it is to explain, all right, the unifying message to all believers, right to both Jews and Gentiles alike. And it is to share God's wisdom through the church. So the gospel is to go to everyone, the message of Christ created in all things. And then it's through the church that God's wisdom comes through. That's kind of the gist of the message this morning. And throughout many of Paul's letters is, you know what? There's power in the church. It is through God's means that He he is at work. And so Paul explains this purpose, um, that he preached the incalculable riches of Christ so that God's multifaceted wisdom is made, is made known. Um, moving on, verses 14 through 21, we're going to see here, um, as, we, uh, as we read, we see this, For this reason. I For this reason. Paul spent several verses here now, what he's, what he's doing, describing why he feels com- compelled to turn to God. He says, I bow my knees. Now we're getting to, to this prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know, and Paul here says that he kneels before God on their behalf. Uh, think about this. So often, you know, uh, you look at the, the throughout history those that would be considered great prayers, people that pray, um, and and it, it's hard to really define, you know, that because it can be a, a, a private act, although we have public prayer a, as well. But it's hard to kind of quantify uh, um, how good of a person of prayer that that you are. But Paul considers himself an intercessor, one that prays on behalf of others. So he's kneeling in prayer, right? This posture of prayer, not for himself, although I'm confident he prays for himself, but it's for others. You know, tradition suggests that that kneeling is is an act of humility, right? You go before a king or a queen, you you kneel, right, and uh, uh, and. And so you—it's this lowering of your self, and and so it kind of demonstrates this unworthiness and the fact that we are coming before a glorious God. But in addition to his his humility, Paul also speaks of this confidence that he has as he approaches God on behalf of of the Ephesians. All right, it's you know I think um. And can it be that Charles Wesley bold I approach the eternal throne? We come before God boldly, not in our own power, but through Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. And so he comes on behalf of the um, of the the um of, of, the, of the of the Ephesians here. So if Paul prayed for the Ephesians to be strengthened in their inner being, for Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith, to be established in love and to grasp the range of God's love for them, then compare that to how we pray often for for other believers today. What did you notice that was absent from this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3? Go back a little bit. So he bows his knee before God of the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth. Here's the prayer that God may grant them to be strengthened, power through the Spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. They have strength not to go out and to take the world by storm, but to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ, and that they may be filled with the fullness of God. What's absent from this prayer? Okay, absolutely. So it's selfless, right? He's not praying for himself. Okay, right. So that would go, yeah, kind of in this selfless that he's for his own concern. What's his concern for the the Ephesians? Is he concerned for their well-being? Let me get a little more specific. Is he concerned for their physical well-being here? All spiritual. We don't see anything about any sickness. Anything about any physical needs of being poor, being I don't you know you know the 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 physical problems having children that are just knuckleheads and don't listen prayer about financial problems that they might have or work related issues everything in this prayer is is spiritual that they would be filled with the fullness of God now to the contrary, should we only pray about spiritual things? No. Not at all. No, in fact, Scripture tells us we are to pray for that, but I would encourage us as we, as we pray to God, one, it's okay to pray for ourselves. All right? In fact, I would encourage that we should pray for ourselves. But I think we should balance our prayers for the spiritual health of ourselves and for those that we know and love. And look at that, that they may be filled with the fullness of God. You understand uh, this love, the depth and the breadth and length, the height, the depth. I mean, if Paul kind of uses some other verses in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also be with Him graciously gives us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, there it is again, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Illness is serious. Pain is serious. Financial well-being is serious. Our families are serious. The most important thing, it's the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those of us in Christ, we should pray that there would be nothing to separate us from that love of God. In Jeremiah in the Old Testament, here the prophet says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with everlasting love. I have continued in my faithfulness to you. In Psalm 103, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions and to know the love of Christ that surpasses... Well, back to Ephesians. I'm not sure how that one snuck in right there, but there we go. That surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And John chapter 17, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love of with which you have loved me, may be in them, and I in them. All these words, love is the key thing. Ah, oh, may we pray that we would experience the love of Christ. That our sons and daughters would experience the love of Christ. That our neighbors would experience the love of Christ. And through that, Nothing can separate us from God. That's what grace is, this unmerited favor, this love that we do not deserve. And that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Would it be better to be poor and have the fullness of God? Would it be better to have bones that ache and Creak and and have the fullness of God. Would it be better to, you know, what to not have status in the world and have the fullness of God? Sometimes I wonder if the very things that we pray for sometimes can contradict what is best for us. May this be our ultimate desire, that we would fill with the ultimate fullness of God. And that others too would be filled with that. And if anything takes away from that, that He would keep us from that. Now this is Paul's endgame. He wanted the Ephesians to grow more like Christ and And so if they were strengthened from their inner being, their faith, their love grows, they understand how much God loved them. Then they would love, and then they would seek to be more like Him. Sometimes I think we get it backwards. Like, man, if we're just more like Jesus, if we're more like Christ, then He's going to love us. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the exact opposite. When we embrace the love of Christ, our identity, who we are in Christ, there is that change in us. And no matter what problems, whether we're in prison or whether we are destitute, that love that we have received from Christ goes out and helps us to love others. We're going to close here reading. These last two verses. This is kind of a uh, this is what's what, a doxology, a, a hymn of praise to God. Now, sometimes doxologies get a bad rap. If you're coming from a more liturgical uh, tradition, it's something that you just read and kind of a rote rote thing. But the power in these words kind of gives this this notion that Paul. Shows them to be packed with great meaning and all-inspiring significance. And as we read them, I want you to think about the experiences of Noah. Think about that. I mean, the world had never seen rain; they wouldn't know what rain was. And God says, "We're going to flood the earth." What in the world are you talking about? We've never had a drop of rain. You need to build an ark. Because you're righteous, the only one. So he builds an ark. Noah, Noah, brother Noah built the ark. Then the rains came. Or Moses saw that burning bush. And he said, Who am I going to tell you? He said, You tell them that I am sent you. Or Abraham, the father of many sons, or David, slain Goliath. I want you to think of those experiences. And as we say this doxology, I want you to think of those experiences in your own life. Of the love of Christ. All right, Here we go. We'll say it together. I'll count to three. And, uh, and we'll speak these words. One, two, three. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Mm. He is able to do far more than we could ever think or ask for. Not for our glory. But look what's included in here. The church. And through all generations. Through our offspring. Now, um, I have kids. And I guess as you get older, you, you think of what will their kids be like? And their kids. And the generations that you will never know unless... Christ comes back. I think when we pray, we can see this far more abundantly than we've asked or think. Oh, he is at work even in all generations, those in the future that we will never, that we will never know. And so when we seek these verses right here i I can't get over it. It's far more abundantly than we ask or think. We cannot pray big enough. I mean, think about the most outrageous prayer that you could ever pray. And he is able to do far more. Than that. So as we go this week, I want you to focus on praying, praying, you know, for those physical needs, for the, the 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 life needs in the here and now. And and I would encourage what I've been doing lately, just because it helps get me to focus a little bit is i've been you know kind of writing it down more in a kind of a, a prayer journal style because when you put pen to the paper it kind of slows you down mm-hmm. and uh kind of helps you to focus a little more and feel like my mind it doesn't get distracted because and, and part of my problem is it's usually with music because as soon as i'm starting to write these songs i'm grateful for having all these hymns in my mind growing up but I mean, it's like every time I start going down this trip, boom, there's this song that helps me to, you know, and, and I think there's been a bit, I mean, it's easy to get lost track. And, uh, and so just writing that out. And then I want you to go back and look at those prayers. I want you to say, how can you make that prayer bigger? How can you make that prayer bigger?